This is Dan Bradley here. It's the Christmas episode of the Predcast. It's the one or two, one of the one or two episodes that we have to do. Like we're contractually obligated to do. There's this one, there's the season preview episode, and a playoff preview episode if the team makes it that far, which during our tenure, they've they've tended to do that. We started doing this episode, we started doing the show um, the infamous 2011-2012 uh, year. You guys remember that year and just how much fun that team was until it wasn't fun. Yeah, that was the rattle of Suter year. Yeah. Anywho, uh, this episode, we're going to spend some time talking about the Predators' recent play as of late. We're going to spend some time talking about uh, some other things as well. Um, talk about the state of the website, uh, talk about the future, what 2017 holds. And I'll start by saying this. Uh, over the summer, we added a few out bodies to our coverage in addition to Bryant, um, Anish, Maria, Alex. We promoted uh, Maria and Alex to the uh, co-managing editor position. I took a, took a leave of absence for a bit. Um, that wasn't the initial plan is to take a, quote, leave of absence. It was more of just a, I got other stuff I had to do. I started doing uh, high school football. I started doing uh, college football coverage. And then turning around and also doing the hockey stuff as well, especially when I now decided that I didn't need the stipend for it anymore. It wasn't, I couldn't do it. I couldn't in good conscience do that. Plus, I still got to like do laundry and, and groceries and stuff. And that sucks. Got to do that too. So uh, we gave, uh, gave a few uh, people a roster spot. Uh, Mark's back in the fold as well. Um, love having Mark Harris out there. Mark Harris is a shining star already, and before too long, I wouldn't be surprised if you're seeing him on TV. You've got uh, now Michael, Austin, Haley, Bobby, all out there doing God's work themselves. Uh, really like the direction the site's going. Um, I like our game coverage a whole lot for this year. Uh, we have, we're uh, bringing in some new people as well. There's always like this, this risk of whether or not they kind of fit the mold of who we are and what we do, and there's been zero issues with that so far. Um, great stuff there from our new folks as well. Um, I want to give a special shout out to um, our folks that have stayed with us through all this time and uh, put up with me. Uh, I've had the chance to do some other things. Had a chance to um, do some high school football. That was a lot of fun. That literally is paying for my vacation <laughs> coming up in January where I'm taking a cruise and all that. And I had a chance to uh, pilot the uh, Vanderbilt uh, postgame show. And that has been just a load of fun for me. And um, looking forward to see where that goes. Wish they have a bowl game coming up uh, uh, day after Christmas on the 26th. So, uh, and uh, that was very rewarding. I got a chance to work with some real professionals like Jonathan Schaefer, Adam Johnson, Charlie Sonier, people that you may know around the industry, and uh, gathered a lot from them. But... Um, it's good to be able to still have to still be able to do this. And for those who don't know, I still do all the post production, still do all that good stuff. So it's not like I've complete, not like completely, um, you know, disowned the predcast by any means. No, it's 
If you look at the SoundCloud account, it still is under my name, and that's not going away. That's part of the reason why I'm doing this tonight, too, is that, hey, I've got this unlimited SoundCloud account. I might as well put out some content just for the hell of it. So that, and you guys haven't heard from me in, geez, since, what, early October, right before the season started? I figured it was about time to at least give people an explainer, like, hey, where the hell did Dan go? Does he hate us? Well, yes, but I'm still, I'm just kidding. Just time got in the way of it when you're doing, you know, football on Friday night, Vanderbilt on Saturday, and then Sunday in addition to getting your groceries done, getting your laundry done, oh, hey, you also have to go uh, record a two-hour show and then edit it for, you know, another hour, hour and a half, depending on, with, you know, what Link says, and then publish it and then write the post about it. And that just kind of got a little bit, I mean, it, I don't want to say it fell to the bottom of my priority list, but the other two things I mentioned, aside from the laundry and groceries, actually do pay me. So I kind of have to prioritize there. Uh, now that we got that out of the way, um, I'm really happy the direction this uh, direction the site's going. I would not be surprised if uh, before too long we've reached out to some of the other writers to get a second show up and going because, frankly, there's too much talent right now, and I feel like I at times I do a bad job of not putting them in a position to succeed, not putting in a position to uh, to grow and take on new roles, and that's something that I'm looking to get better at. And the only way I'm going to get better at doing is by making it public and say, you know, hey, I'm, please hold me to this. So uh, a lot of stuff to get to. Uh, the Predators have played a few games since, well, that, since we last heard an episode from them. Um, but real quick, I wanted to uh, share with you guys a story of kind of, there was a moment uh, where I'm doing a Lipscomb Academy game. It was opening night of, uh, opening out of the hockey season, which decided to open up on a Friday night, which is stupid, but, you know, just because... In this area, there's a high school football is a massive deal, and it's not like Texas big. But when you look at the population of the state of Tennessee and the percentage of people that attend a high school football game on a Friday night, it's astounding. We're talking the hundreds of thousands every Friday night, and I'm looking down at my phone, and my phone is going nuts at 7:05, and I'm like, what? What the hell is going on? Because I got the OTF account. People bothering me on that. I see where people are bothering me on the. Uh, my standard, you know, my, my at Dandy Bradley as well. And uh, let me read this exactly out because this is uh, this is everything of, you know, I kind of word that moment where like, you know, you wanted to stop now before you got burned out. This guy re- tweets to me, hey, idiots on OTF p- forgot to post a, a GDT or game day thread. Please get one going somehow. If I wasn't on my little Twitter hiatus, I would have... Um, which I was just getting the emails on this. I wasn't even getting like the, the Twitter notifications because I actually deleted the app at this point. It would have. I'm glad I didn't have the app at this point because that would have been kind of like, dude, I'm, you don't want to mess with me at that point. Um, here I was, you know, trying to, you know, getting ready to interview the coach and talk to him pregame, and then, eesh, you guys are bugging me about that. Uh, that was kind of a tipping point for me. Like, you know, this is Twitter's kind of a nasty world. Just in general, like especially you know during the political time of the year it was with the election around and just I don't know hockey Twitter is out of all the out of all the major sports and all the college sports as well it's different and uh, I don't always like it and it was kind of nice to take a step away from that as well. Um, real quick before I get into the hockey bit, uh, I want to say a special thanks to Jeremy Sargent and the crew at, uh, at his uh, store, Laverne City's Liquors on Laverne on Murfreesboro Road. 
uh, did a great job of uh, kind of helping me throughout this season and up to this point. Uh, let's start with this one. Let's start with uh, the Predators taking on the Blues uh, about a week and a half ago, it seems now. And uh, if we look back, we, we all wrote our columns. We all were at the keyboard, you know, typing away. Is this the moment that the Predators have turned their season around? Because up until this point in December, it was pretty rough. I mean, December had been kind of rough for the Predators at this point. They just got through, you know, taking the L to the Arizona Coyotes and let it look terrible. I mean, I remember ranting on that one because I had to watch it on like 50 televisions. And they fall in the hole 2 nothing. They go in the intermission. They give up a power play goal. It, it wasn't just like, you know, your Tarasenko gets loose. So like, what are you going to do about that? No, when Ryan freaking Reeves is picking a corner on you, it's pretty demoralizing. And Ryan Reeves is a better hockey player than he gets credit for, but he gets credit mostly for punching people's faces. So that's, that's demoralizing. The fact that um, the moment that they scored that first goal, it seemed like it's a, a weight was lifted off of them. And up until the last two to three minutes of the game, that team just pushed and pushed and pushed and was forechecking, controlling every bit of the game. The thing that stuck out with me is that even though they end up going on to win that game 6-3 to three with an empty netter, it's still, I mean, there were still so many bad things in that first period. Like, if you look back and if you were to go back through on NHL.com or just YouTube videos and watch Pecorine during that game, even when the score was... Five to three, or when the Predators are just completely kicking ass in the third period, Rene's positioning was never great during that game. The Blues didn't even bot. The Blues couldn't get a shot through to him. When Rene gets tired, and we've seen this now for I don't know how many years, there's this obvious tell about it. And if you watch him, he comes out to the top of the crease and he doesn't move backwards or sideways like he normally does. Like he's trying to cut down the angle way too aggressively. And we see this when he goes on a run where he plays like six or seven games straight. But now we're starting to see it more often as he gets older. And uh, that's, I think, if you're a coach and you see that, you might want to go and start getting the backup ready. Uh, James Neal is that dude right now. Um, the first uh, quarter of the year has been very kind to James Neal, and James Neal has been that guy. It doesn't matter what line he's on or who's playing beside him whether it's Victor Arvidsson, whether it's Ryan Johansson, whether it's Craig Smith, uh, Mike Fisher, Colin Wilson, and Philip Forsberg, as long as it's a guy who can skate with him. And he has been that guy. The fact that it, with Arvidsson now, which we saw later on the, this week, he just needs someone on the ice to draw some attention away from him. Not all of it, but at least some of it away from him. Because if he gets off enough space to get off one of his shots, good things happen. Uh, they followed up with a game against Minnesota. They end up losing this one five to two. It looks worse than what it is because there were two empty netters. They had all this. The difference in this game was about ninety seconds of just bad defense in the first period, uh, falling behind three to one. And even though Bruce Boudreau was the coach, even though they have these weapons now with Pominville and Stahl and a bunch of guys north of thirty, they still play that defensive game that just frustrates you and sets the game back. Um, Devin Dubnik looks good again, and that's bad news for everybody because once he gets on a roll, we've seen it before. The Wild are completely comfortable just bodyguarding him, and right now they've won eight games in a row. So if you look at the standings, the Minnesota Wild, they're for real. They do. A, they have a. They have a way they play. They're a deep team. They don't have a whole lot of just interchangeable parts to them, but 
they know at least that they have a solid, you know, they have a solid two or three lines they can roll out there. Defense is, uh, you know, it's a lot of kids out there. You got Ryan Suter and Jonas Burdine and a bunch of kids. Dumba's still very young. Uh, Scandella's, you know, a younger guy as well. They're not the most physical group in the world, but they have a plan. They have a system. They go out and they use it. So you're expecting kind of a bounce back game against the Rangers. You know, the Rangers have had go back and forth with Henrik Lundqvist versus Antti Ranta. Ranta's played very well this year. And, I, uh, you know, it's you had a kind of a rough uh, rough outing for Rene two nights in a row, or two games in a row. So they decided to start UC Soros. And we got a very interesting game with this because we all know when a backup's in the net, especially a backup that is either a call-up or a guy that, like with Carter Hutton's case, where they, you know, kind of protected him. As he, sometimes when they played with him, they would say, all right, we just need to, you know, bodyguard, bodyguard Carter. It's the same system that the Minnesota Wild use when they play with Devin Dubnik, except they've now been doing it for three years. With Soros, it felt like the first, I would say, about 55 to 60% of that game, they were a little bit shy about just playing their normal free-flowing style. And if, when I went back through and watched, and watched a, the, a good chunk of that game, it didn't seem like themselves. Some of that is the Rangers. The Rangers are completely comfortable playing a defensive style as well. And a one nothing lead with Henrik Lundqvist, you feel pretty comfortable with that. Uh, Nashville did end up getting stronger as the game went on. They ended up getting the tying goal. And that third period, about the last 10 minutes or so, they're pushing and pushing and pushing. I thought Neil had the, uh, the game-winning goal on that uh, chance he had. It actually went underneath the arm of Lundqvist and... I feel like that was the moment right there. Because the moment it went to overtime, you're thinking, oh, well, we've seen this movie before. But no, it turned out to be even worse where, you know, public enemy number three or number two, I don't know where you want to call VZ right now. I'm not sure if he's number one on everyone's radar because there is still Alex Radulov out there. Of course he's going to score in the shootout. He's been going against UC Soros in training camp and in prospect camp for three years. That's just kind of the reality of it. Um Still, I would like to see either Arvidsson, who we've seen in the who we've seen in the aforementioned training camps before, look pretty good in the shootouts. Just would have been fun. Craig Smith in the shootouts always an adventure. Johansson has one move, and it's really awesome when it works, but otherwise it looks kind of silly. James Neal could score. Philip Forsberg can score. I don't know. I just like to see at least one of them. So speaking of, so you're thinking, all right, they you know just. Kind of had a it was a good showing, but still a loss against the Rangers. They looked pretty rotten for the first period against Minnesota, and then they bounced back. They looked rotten against the Flyers a couple weeks ago, and I, and that may be a bit harsh, but you never felt like they were going to take control of that game. The Flyers kept pulling away from them. Predators would tie it. Flyers would pull it away from them. Predators would tie it. You never felt like they were the better team against Philadelphia, and we saw a lot of that in the first period. Flyers came out, kicked the door in, and just essentially handled Nashville in the first period. Lucky to only be down one nothing at the end of 20. Rene looked much better, by the way. Rene looked like much more like himself. He looked comfortable in his own crease. Looked like he looked like he the rest did him some good. Looked much better than even he did against St. Louis. Uh, two big takeaways from this is Mike Fisher's game travels so well. Mike Fisher has with the weapons that the Predators now have, with the emergence of Arvidsson, with the 
confidence that Kevin Fiala keeps adding to his game. Forsberg, Neal, Smith, Wilson. Fisher's job has gotten a lot simpler over the years. He doesn't have to be this dynamic offensive player, which he never was. He doesn't have to be this all-world shutdown defensive player, which he somewhat used to be, and he still is a decent defensive player as well. His job now is pretty great. He just goes to the front of the net and just waits for someone to find him. And I love just the amount of attention that he's commanding on the ice right now. That's opening up a lot of space elsewhere. Uh, Forsberg getting to the front of the net is a product of a uh, Forsberg to on the front of the net is a product of a lot of things. Number one, it's long overdue for someone to get to the front of the net on this team. And if it means someone like him, who Forsberg could score the most gorgeous goals on the planet if he wants to. But if you look at how Crosby scored, like some of his score, some of his goals, which he loves hanging around the front of the net. He's great at deflecting. There's nothing wrong with making a living doing that. In fact, Joe Pavelski is who Craig Smith should try to emulate. I'd love to see that, except Smith's much handsome, much more handsome, personally. I've got to talk about Matt Irwin on this. Matt Irwin's game is is very much a, a product of that type of play where he waits for someone to get in front of the net. This is what Brent Seabrook does to a to a great success, and that's playoff style hockey. Wait for someone to get in front of the net. Irwin's just going to flip it there. Whoever's in front of the net is going to be able to see it. That was the problem with people standing in front of the net when you had Shea Weber because it's look, it's it's either your rib cage or his rib cage, and it's a 50-50 chance it hits yours. Irwin's you know a very smart player. He does a lot of things well, and with uh, Subban being out during the stretch especially against the Rangers and now against the Flyers, Matt Irwin's calming presence out there has been has been absolutely great. Um, playing more north of 20 minutes a night, and when Subban comes back, now you have three very solid pairs out there, and that was the goal from the start of the year. Here we were thinking with Yannick Weber and Matt Carl and Anthony Potato. Don't worry, the third pair is just going to be a chunk of those guys. Ah, No, Matt Irwin has came in and seized an opportunity, and honestly... I wouldn't be surprised if we start talking extension about him, I'd say sometime around January, February, if he keeps this up. And full credit to the guy. He's came here. He's made himself a home. Shootout win against a team like the Flyers always feels really good, especially when you look at how much talent that they have and, and scoring positions and just you know fighting through getting that 2-1 win. Ryan Ellis, another shootout weapon. We've seen... We've seen Ellis before in breakaways. We've seen Ellis before in some of the skilled moves. And... I think that it's it's good to see now he's getting the recognition that he deserves. And, gosh, I hope they hold on to this kid. It's taken so long for him to develop to this level, but it's been worth watching. Oh, and they blow out the Devils. Uh, Devils uh, play that really frustrating style of hockey, and the best way to get through it is get an early lead, and they do that. I talked a bit earlier about James Neal, Victor Arvidsson. Arvidsson's game, because he skates the way he does, because of just the type of pursuit that he has, he, he's not afraid to turn pucks over. He's not afraid to go in and fight for loose pucks. He commands attention on the ice. And that's a great combination with James Neal because James Neal needs that space. You get James Neal space, he gets off the shot, good things happen. And both of them are very good in transition. Flashback to the Rangers game. James Neal's the guy out there forcing turnovers. James Neal's the guy who can take on it take on a one-to-one matchup and still get a shot off. He's a much better two-way player than we thought he was when he came over from Pittsburgh. Forsberg ends up scoring again. 
two straight for him. And by the way, the Predators are 5-0 and when he scores a goal. So, uh, Philip, try, try to score more. That'd, that'd be great. Felt bad for Yusei Saros because he did good enough to earn a shutout. It wasn't to be, but this is a uh, this is a, a very important uh, stretch of games here. The Predators just finished up. Uh, we're seeing the differences between Saros and Rene. Saros is relying much more on positioning, and he stays further back in his crease than Rene does. Rene will come at the angle very aggressively and rely on his side to side motion and his range. Saros is more a little bit more methodical. He's uh, much more conservative with his movements. Some of that may be youth. Some of that may be coaching. Some of that may be recognizing that hey, I'm five foot eleven on skates, and I should probably stay a little bit closer in. He's probably closer to six two on skates, but we're going to just say he's short just for the comedic comedic reference there. But you watch his uh, his close range stop on Taylor Hall there. That's a prime example of some smart goaltending. He didn't overplay that. And, you know, if he's going to get beat, he's going to get beat, but he's not going to do anything to beat himself. So that was good stuff out there. Um, the takeaways from this past week, top of the list. You say Soros is better and more NHL-ready than we thought he was this summer. You know, I don't know what else he has left to prove at the AHL level other than just durability, which we're seeing now with Ben Bishop at the Lightning and just goaltenders in general. Durability is always going to be a question mark, especially when you look at the type of motion that goaltenders are doing and players are crashing into goaltenders left and right. You know what? Durability is always going to have that question mark. The defense looked okay without Subban, but we all want P.K. Subban right back, right? I mean, the power play needs the guy, and he get, he brings Matt Irwin back to that third pair, and Matt Irwin being able to play more of a specialist role all for that. And speaking of returns, Ryan Ellis, when he returned to the lineup against St. Louis, that's a huge shot in the arm. Ryan Ellis has become one of the more important players of the Predators right now. And when Roman Yossi gets going, it's we Roman Yossi so far has had a fairly quiet year, partially because no one's watching him the way that they were last year. But Ryan Ellis allows them to have an interchangeable top four. And you got to think at some point we're going to see Ellis and Eckholm together. I'm not sure how, not sure why, not sure when it's going to happen. But Ryan Ellis being back in the lineup and being back into full speed, that's going to allow for a lot of good things. Let's go ahead and get our uh, half-hour break in. You're listening to a special edition of the Predcast. See you on the other side. These days, you need a partner current and latest website design standards. One that also provides quality support services like hosting, email, e-commerce, CMS, and more. And you need a partner experienced in online branding and marketing, like social media, search engine marketing, rich media, and email marketing. You need a partner that knows how to market your company in today's age of advertising. You need LionZone. Their professional staff and partners have the know-how, creativity, and experience to help you reach your marketing goals. Contact them today for a free consultation at 615-353-0402. That number again is 615-353-0402, or you can reach them on their website at www.lionzone.com. Lionzone, Nashville's leading internet marketing agency since 1999.
get to some of your questions. Take a deep breath. I got this. All right. Open up Twitter. I hate doing this these days. All right. Notifications. Scroll back here. Da, 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 da. We ask for questions. I, uh, we put it out there. Hey, let's go. No, let's throw it out there. And then we didn't do a show. Like that. That's yeah. That would, that's a bad tease. All right. Let's get all the way back here. I just have to scroll through like two games worth of uh, worth of content here. I'm happy that a lot of you agreed with me that the Devil's Horn did legitimately sound like the or Devil's. Uh, opera style organ legit sounded like satan's organ that's pretty awesome imagine lou limorello something somewhere like up in the ceiling playing like this like comically large organ maybe it's a hologram of him i don't know i always thought lou limorello looked just so freaking evil ugly guy where do i want to start here all right let's go with this one here Ken Clark, a.k.a. Preds to the Cap, asks, Do they choose shooters based on who's playing well? Why choose Craig Smith, who had nothing last night? Honestly, that's a great question. Because we've seen Neal and Forsberg be very effective in the shootout before. Even Wilson's been effective in the shootout. Now, Craig Smith's had success in the shootout before as well. Um, Laviolette goes with Smith in the uh, shootout more often than not. Um, I don't know. Uh, that's a great, that's a, I mean, supposedly when Mitch Korn was there, Mitch Korn was the guy who se- who selected that move just because of Mitch Korn's infinite knowledge of goaltending that should never be questioned, apparently. Um, I would have personally liked to have seen Forsberg. I like seeing Philip Forsberg in a one-on-one situation anyways. The argument that you can make for Craig Smith is that, hey, maybe if we, you know, give Craig Smith this opportunity you know, as on a on a penalty shot, maybe it gets him going. But why would you not do that for Forsberg? Maybe he was the third shooter. I don't know. Uh, I personally, it still doesn't make a whole lot of sense. Uh, Damn it, Preds ask: Is the first period problems due to overactive offensively or laziness in defense, leadership issues, or coach? Mm, I think you're still. I mean, this is kind of a dirty little thing with the Predators right now. Is that you have Previously, the past few years, you've had um, Shea Weber and Reben Yossi as the number one defensive pairing. Last year, and actually the last two years, you've had Matias Seckholm and Ryan Ellis kind of seize that number two pairing role. And then your third pairing was Anthony Potato or Petter Granberg or some combination thereof. This year, none of the pairings are the same as what they were last year. And I still think that there is some, there are some kinks to work out with this. Um, I do think everyone plays a very similar style and it shouldn't be taking 20 some odd games in the season for that I'm, I'm, I'm still kind of baffled that we haven't seen a breath of Ekholm and Ellis at even strength hardly at all this year that's something that um, I, don't, I, I would like to see uh, Yossi and Subban on the ice at the same time I don't see a problem with just kind of loading up the wagon with uh with let's say like a Johansson line with like a Smith and an Arvidsson or and throw out Yossi and Subban just see what happens. Uh, the worst things I mean, what's what's the worst thing that happens? You give up a breakaway the other end, 
You're going to probably do that anyways if you hold the possession the other side for two minutes. or Well, actually, after about two minutes or so, they'll probably just dump the puck in the other side. There's no harm in that. Um, let's see here. Who's next? Anything else I want to answer right over here? Do you think there is any hope of making the playoffs? Yes. John Smith asks, if Pekka continues to struggle, Saros continues to stand on his head when he's in, how could you keep playing Rene? Well, Rene can answer the bell pretty well the last couple of games. I think they're, they're need, we need to find some type of happy medium because Saros needs games. Saros needs needs to keep progressing that way. Uh, Mazinets, I would be very unhappy if he plays another game at the NHL level this year unless he takes a massive step forward in Milwaukee. Do you see that happening? I don't. You? No? I didn't think so. Um, there has to be some kind of happy medium between playing Pekka 60 games a year and playing and having them split time half and half. Um, Rene is the guy as long as he's healthy. That's just kind of the reality with it. Be it stubbornness, be it guilt because you're paying the guy $7 million a year, be it confidence in a young guy who's you know playing his rookie year. But if, if Pecorino wasn't making $7 million a year, and if it sounds like I beat that point into the ground, I'm, I'm, I've accomplished my goal. If he wasn't making that much money, there would be people crawling out of the walls begging for Saros to take this job right now. That's that's where we're at with it. And also, Pecorino's a really nice guy, and people don't like to talk bad about the guy. Adam wants to ask, can we get rid of Ribeiro yet? Uh, team wants to play fast. He's determined to play slow. So aggravating. There's a, a quite a few reasons you can make the justification for getting rid of Mike Ribeiro. Uh, playing slow at times, yeah. This, I mean, last year he was playing incredibly slow, and it was very frustrating to watch. But if we're all honest with ourselves, um, Ryan Johansson doesn't play incredibly fast either. Now, Johansson's a lot more versatile because he's built the size of my car, and Mike Ribeiro is a, you know about the size of a seat open inside my car. Uh, Ribeiro's very, game is very limited. Johansson can do a lot of things in the ice, and frankly, Johansson's just barely scratched the surface to what he can do. Um, but so far this year, you, for as much hate as you want to throw on Mike Ribeiro, and a lot of it's justified, he hasn't been disappointing. I mean, if, if you're expecting a 36-year-old center who's never been the most well-rounded player in the world to you know, turn in Sidney Crosby numbers... I'm sorry to disappoint you, that won't happen. But having said that, I think that you're getting reasonable production out of Mike Ribeiro, for, especially for what they're paying him, for what he's being asked to do. I'm not overly disappointed with him. Um, I still would have been rather, I still would have you know, preferred someone else, this role go to someone else, but they made their decision with it. And so far this year, Ribeiro's turned in 19 points. That's actually ahead of Fisher, Wilson, Smith, Fiala, and all the third liners. So he's actually tied. He has the exact same or very similar stat line to Philip Forsberg with only two less minutes a night. Oh, yeah, 1607 and 9. He's putting in that much perform, that much. Not bad. Um, I don't know. Just, if there's a, at some point, you just kind of have to shrug your shoulders and say, you know what? That's, that's actually okay. Second line center production for that guy and heck Mike Fisher right now nine goals nine assists 18 points right around the same amount of ice time Fisher's playing good too credit to him as well uh, let's have a look 
What else we want to get off our chest here? When is it officially time to panic? Asked Dustin Dmax30. Is it March, game 10, midpoint of the season, preseason? Mm, I think people look for an excuse to panic a bit early on this. Um, I don't think the Minnesota Wild are going to continue winning every single game. Um, I think the Blues are the Blues are about where they need to be. I think the, the Predators may end up passing the Blues right now just because they don't have that back-and-forth goaltending tandem that they've had. You know, previously, um, Chicago's really good. Let's just no there are no two ways about it right now. Chicago's really good. I, the Pacific's a tough division to figure out right now because the Oilers are had a really strong start. Now they're kind of coming back to earth. You don't know what the Kings are going to be like if they get quick, back, quick, back, quick, back, and back in time. Go a lot of ways. Ah. Uh. Um, I don't know if it's time. I don't know if I'm personally not panicking because this team's doing a lot of good things at five on five. They're doing their their special teams have been spotty. If that's the biggest uh, gripe I have, um, they get that sorted, they'll go far. All right, Rachel asks, "What happened to our defense? At times they look lost. This comes down to a." Um, Kind of a, a theory on defense in general, and it, it somewhat holds true, especially with uh, if you watch how Weber and Yossi played last year, where Weber essentially was was the guy who bodyguarded the net, and Yossi was the guy who skated the puck up the ice. That was just how they played. Yossi was like, "All right, I'll wait for Shade to either block a shot, or I'll stay with the." I'll, Yossi was like the guy who who watched like the main puck carrier who positioned himself in front of that and Weber was the guy who guarded the front of the crease pushed people out of the way they don't quite have that chemistry just yet um that's the only frustrating bit right now is that Subban isn't the isn't a bulldozer he's relying on Matias Ekholm to play more of a physical role the Ellis and Yossi pairing is something that's a bit unique right now because you're asking Ryan Ellis to be a bit more physical than he's ever had to be, and you're asking Roman Yossi to, I don't know, uh, take more matters into his own hands. I mean, Yossi's the guy who skates you out of trouble. Yossi's the guy who plays that shutdown D role. Whereas last year, Ryan Ellis was more of the guy who drove possession and Echo was the stay-at-home guy. So it's a bit more of a role reversal for both of those guys, and um, it's still taking time to get that figured out. Morgan Granger asked the million-dollar question of how bad does it have to get before our coaches will try something different in 3-on-3? I don't know. There is no answer there. The The problem with the Predators is they try to play this uh, for up until the last, uh, actually the last two or three times they've done overtime. They try to do this whole, you know, play the puck around the boards. Three on three, that doesn't happen. Uh, that just that does not happen. And it's about setting up. They try to set up for that perfect shot as well. If you watch how the Stars play three on three, they just throw a puck at the net. Uh, and the Stars are, are very good at three on three since it's been implemented. Um, the Islanders are good at three on three for the most part, just from what I've seen. Now, I don't have the stats to look through on that. I'm sure that you know, someone's going to look through and figure that stuff out, but. Honestly, um, I understand the you know not wanting to devote a whole lot of practice time, especially with 
you know, the NHL, your your practice time is especially limited with three on three. But if you're going to be playing close games, and as the season goes on, games will end up getting closer, especially the second and third time you start seeing teams. You have to do you have to at least look at doing something different. Now, the past um, two overtimes, we've at least seen them hold on to the puck more. We've at least seen them win a draw, keep possession on, keep the other team pinned in their own net, pinned in their own goal. It's, it's the uh, long change as well, so you're able to cycle players on and off if you're able to hold the other team in their in your offensive zone. And that worked for the most part. That does work. You get the other team sucking win, not able to change. Good things happen there. I want to see more of that, and that's, that's usually the best way to go. Ryan asks, what game on the back half of the season would you be most excited to see at Bridgestone? Ooh. Okay. All right. Well, first off, just a matter of principle, I usually avoid avoid your usual suspects as far as that game. As far as, like, I just don't like... I don't like getting into a fight with a guy wearing a feathered headdress or someone who works at a car dealership in Creepcourt, Missouri. You know, just not quite my thing. Uh, I'm always always like watching. Um, I've had a team pick a team just based on how they play. First off, I want to see Yager. Um, I'm not sure when the Panthers I, when the Panthers are coming in just yet. I, uh, I've already played the Lightning, and frankly, I don't want to. Never want to see that type of game ever again. Um, <laughs> that's a, wow. That that's a, that's gonna be a tough one here. Um, I enjoy watching the Stars play just because the Stars have a completely different um, idea as far as hockey goes, and you know styles make fights. Um, I like watching the anyone soullessly pound the Canucks into the ice. So naturally, if they're playing in the back half of the schedule, I'm all ears for that. Um, the Montreal game happens on the 3rd of January, so we can't exactly call that the back half. Uh, the Panthers game, because Yager's coming into town on February the 11th, that'll be cool. Uh, you don't know how much how many more years Yager's going to do this. The uh, Canucks are in town earlier that week. Let's see. Well, I'm going to avoid the Arizona game like the plague. Oh, they play Calgary on a Thursday night in March. Wow, I wonder how many tickets are going to be offered up for that one. You know what? Yeah, I'll go with uh, I'll go with the Panthers on a Saturday afternoon one o'clock game. They have the Stars the following Sunday at five o'clock on a Sunday night. That's kind of cool. Now, something that is uh, this is something different here. So I'm on the Predators website right now and just kind of mousing through because I haven't been on the Preds website in a good bit. And I see the calendar here. You have the option to buy tickets. And you have a link to stay at the Renaissance Hotel. That's different. All right. So I can look at rates for... Huh. All right. Well, the Renaissance is absolutely an awesome hotel. But where I'm getting... where This, this kind of makes me smile because something that we've seen more over the last 10 years as far as, as, far as sports go in general is sports tourism. You watch an NFL game. The NFL is probably the easiest example of this. Because, frankly, the NFL is not a great in-venue in product anymore. It's not a great live product to watch like it used to be. The playoffs, sure, it's great. But the best seats you have are going to be at your home. Watching Red Zone and not drinking $8 beers. With when, But when you turn on an NFL game anymore, you're just seeing swaths of the visiting team's fans. It's because... it's. 
more so than hockey, more so than than baseball, unless you're playing a team like the Cubs or the Yankees or the Red Sox. You're seeing just swaths of um, of visiting fans in, in stadiums anymore, and, and you know we're seeing it with hockey. We see it. Uh, we don't see it a ton with NBA, just because if you know the Milwaukee Bucks are playing in Memphis, you, you know they're not going to see a ton of Bucks jerseys. Just how they are here. Um, hmm. Yeah. I'm, so final answer, I'm going to go with either the Panthers or go with the. Uh, go with the Canucks there just because I enjoy watching the Canucks lose, so hopefully they win that one. Speaking of fans and making an impact on the game and visiting fans, what have you, so there was it came up quite a bit in our timeline about whether or not to cheer or boo Ryan Suter or Jimmy Vesey whenever they come back to Nashville. And the first off, the amount of whining from both sides is just wonderful. Uh, there are several of you out there, and you know who you are, that whine very vociferously about, you know, quit whining about, quit, quit trying to boo Jimmy Vesey anymore. It makes us seem like a minor league town. Just get over it. Folks, um, this is very much still a college sports area. It very much is. I mean, you've got uh, big colleges, small colleges around here, and even high school sports as well. Or We talked about that earlier, about that being a very um, integral part of just who we are in this region of the country. And whenever you attend a, uh, a sporting event, especially at a collegiate level, where there's a student section or a loud alumni, a loud, uh, alumni section, you know that if you're if you are a functioning student section, you know that deep down, especially in a small venue, you can affect a game. You can get inside someone's head. Now, how often that gets inside the head of a professional player, I don't know. I really don't know, but you know what it is? It is a distraction. It is something that's talked about. You know, it's something that no matter how many of times Jimmy Vesey plays in Nashville, it's a topic of discussion. No matter how many times that Ryan Suter plays in Nashville, it's a topic of discussion. And that's a good thing. That's a good thing for us. It's a good thing for this market. It's a good thing for just, I don't know, just hockey in general. The fact that it's it's still a storyline. It's an example of how that people care for one. And also, it's know, something to talk about. I mean, we look for excuses to talk about hockey in general as far as media in this town goes, it's a storyline. Now, as far as like it affecting the outcome of a game, personally, I don't know if it does or not. But you know what? It's fun. It is fun. I mean, it's fun to become part of the storyline. And I don't discourage anybody for cheering however the heck you want to do so. Just know that when you do whine on social media about, these fans aren't cheering the way I want them to cheer, you look like the jackass and not them. And this applies to multiple people in the radio profession. So I mentioned uh, talking about other sports real quick. Um, I did spend a lot of time uh, covering Vanderbilt football earlier this year. And uh, first off, they got a bowl game coming up on Monday. So I'll be a chance. Give me another chance to do the uh, post-game bit with Brian and Zach and the crew at WNSR. Um, covering Vanderbilt football is something that 
it, it's there's some parallels with with Nashville in general. There's some parallels with the covering the predators um, that I didn't necessarily see before, and a lot of it comes from can, from the recruiting side and the free agency side because none of the people that uh, that play for the Predators come from really anywhere around Nashville anymore. I mean, Seth Jones was you know born in Tennessee. Uh, he, there was a, a very faint tie in there. His mom lived in Nashville. Amy Jones is an awesome human being. I really miss having her as part of the community and uh, as part of the Predators community. I mean, um, the Jeffreyans are you know have moved uh, moved on as well. Um, so you look at uh, you look at just kind of who's on the roster. There are, there are a lot of folks from Europe, Western Canada. Um, and that's good. I mean, it it needs to be kind of that. Most hockey teams are like this as like this as well. But you look at teams like Boston, Minnesota, New York, um, Chicago, even um, and all over the and all the Canadian teams. There's a lot of people, a lot of folks that want to play in those markets because that's where they're from, or that's where you know they have family, or they have family close to there, or they played college hockey there, or junior hockey there. And you're not going to have that tie here in Nashville. You're not going to have it. Uh, you're going to have it to some. You're not going to have it to that extent in the in Florida or Texas. Uh, it's it's even a stretch in St. Louis. Now St. Louis has put out some actual NHL players over the years, and even Pittsburgh and markets like Washington are starting to put those players out as well. Even Columbus is putting out players, uh, which they've had college hockey at Ohio State for a good while. But the, and the Big Ten is a functioning hockey league. The issue with the uh, with the how it ties into Vanderbilt is uh, so I'm I'm going through and I'm I feel like uh, such an outsider when you start asking the question of why are they not recruiting locally at all and you look at the their uh, their signees for this upcoming recruiting class and at the last check they do not have anybody from inside the state of Tennessee committed to Vanderbilt yet now it's not the end of the world that. They don't have anybody locally committed to them, uh, but it's very rare when you have a a college program that's successful without a local recruiting base. So it's a bit of an anomaly there. I, I started noticing just a few more things as you know as the year went along, but we talk about getting kind of a this with college is kind of the exact opposite. It's it's easier to get a local following. Um, where the university is, it's easy to get a local following when you start bringing in local players. And, the, and there was a, a huge buzz in this town when uh, Blake Jeffreyon had that hat trick, and when the, you know, Seth Jones got drafted, that was a big deal. But the Predators have more of a national following and a global following now, just due to the success of lovable Peck Arena and uh, the Swiss guys, and uh, and even to some extent in Western Canada and Ontario, thanks to the imports of Shea Weber and now P.K. Subban and other folks that have uh, that have done the brand proud. Uh, with um, with that, it, it's 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 fun because it, this is becoming an area where people want to visit. I mean, I remember watching uh, Monday Night Football a few weeks ago, and it was, I think, Car- it, it was either Sunday night or Monday night, but they were talking about the growth of Charlotte. And I believe one of the commentators stated something about there being like five cranes in the background and talking about the growth of Charlotte. You cannot throw a rock in the sky in Nashville without hitting crane or rigging right now. Uh, I think there's at least eight, um, eight twenty-story cranes at least up in the air right now, and you know there's more coming with the hotel boom that 
is finally starting to uh, close the gap with the amount of hotels needed downtown. So you may someday be able to stay inside the interstate uh, loop in Nashville for under $200 a night. It's possible. I don't know anyone who's done it, but it's it's possible. Someday. Um, it's a fun time to be here. It's, uh, it's a bit discouraging when you try to go downtown to eat somewhere because there's a line usually out the door, even at 10 o'clock in the morning. But... Um, it's still a very special time to be here. Uh, one quick note I wanted to drop real quick about other sports. Uh, I've been paying attention to the uh, to the NFL a little bit more this year just because I'm trying to broaden my horizon a little bit. And in the sports media world, the money is all in football. That's the one discouraging thing I used to find so discouraging whenever I first started doing this is that you know, all, all people want to care about is football. And you know, basketball has like that one month and then – Hockey playoffs are fun, but they get overshadowed by the NBA playoffs. And baseball, October, you know, September, you know, October is a huge month for baseball. Hockey has trouble kind of picking out what's uh, what its time is, and um, so you have to start looking around if you really want to make you know a lot of money in this business anymore. Thankfully, I've had other opportunities kind of fall into my lap, but um, I've been paying attention to the NFL a little bit more. And not since uh, that one year of Tim Tebow have I pulled for a, um, a player to succeed more than Dak Prescott. I watched Dak Prescott at, um, at Mississippi State literally carry that team for several years, especially when they were ranked very highly. I think they were ranked number one in the country for a couple of weeks. Um, and Mississippi State's one of those programs and one of those just areas of the country where you have to drive a good while to get to a major media market. And that's if you're calling Memphis or Birmingham a major media market. I mean, the closest uh, media markets to them are Birmingham, which, by the way, you have to drive through Tuscaloosa to get to Birmingham the easiest way. And then, you, of course, people in Birmingham care more about Alabama or Auburn. Or you got to drive to Memphis, and people care more about Ole Miss or the University of Memphis or, dare I say, Tennessee or Arkansas before you get to Mississippi State. So I don't believe people outside of this part of the country that we live in fully appreciated who Dak Prescott was before he got to the NFL. So it's fun to see the national media discover you know, what kind of good guy he was and what kind of good guy he is now. And doing it as the quarterback of the Dallas Cowboys is about like being the goaltender for the Montreal Canadiens or center fielder for the Yankees, just that that prime position in sports. And um, it's, it's been fun watching him succeed with that. So when you look at hockey, when you look at just the, the backgrounds that these guys come from anymore, and you struggle to find a regional kind of um, like a very well-known athlete that everyone recognizes as, oh, this guy is such a good guy. You know, we saw him in college. You don't have that emotional attachment a lot with NHL players anymore. You don't. And um, that's one of the problems I think that this sport has. And I'm not sure there's a way really we can overcome that, especially around here where college hockey coverage just is not a thing, period, because the closest college program to us that plays Division One is UA Huntsville. And... It's. I feel like that we kind of get robbed of that because 
other sports fans, be it at basketball, where they're just able to wrap their arm. Like the citizens of Memphis love them some Marc Gasol. Marc Gasol uh, went to high school at Lausanne, uh, drafted by the Lakers, and then traded for his as part of the package for his brother to Memphis when Powell got traded out to the Lakers. Memphis folks love them some Marc Gasol. And then you got Zach Randolph, who they just kind of embrace as one of their own now. But and Tony Allen's a whole other story. I love me some Tony Allen. We're not able because we don't. We didn't see these guys. We don't see these guys until they're you know eighteen, nineteen years old for a year or two, and then they're in the NHL. There's this more of a build, a character building process that other sports have, and just to how how visible these guys are on the court or on the field compared to hockey where the best players in hockey play 23, 24 minutes a game, aside from goalies. You know, basketball, your best players are playing, you know, 40 minutes or so and upwards. You know, you, you watch a Cavaliers game, you think LeBron James never leaves the court except for beginning of the second, uh, middle of the third, and uh, a couple TV timeouts in the fourth, and that's about it. All that to say, I think there is a ceiling as far as hockey in America, as far as uh, how big it can get. I don't think we're at that ceiling. I don't think we're terribly close to it. But I think that if, that if we're all honest, there is a ceiling to it. Uh, I don't think it's reached its ceiling here in Nashville. I don't think it's reached in places like Dallas or even places like Colorado. And don't even get me started talking about the Mid-Atlantic. But as far as nationally goes, um, one has to wonder kind of where the ceiling is with the NHL as is and how devastating another labor stoppage is going to be. And you notice how we phrase that there, is going to be. Because you know it's going to happen. And that's there's a lot of things that I think that, that hockey fans need to be honest about. And... A lot of things I think the owners and the players need to be honest about as well. They're losing ground to the other leagues, and without some serious uh, tinkering, the game itself is fine, aside from the injuries. And then you have to start asking the question, how is that addressed going forward as far as head injuries go? That's a that's a whole other world there. Um, I do wish I could be a little bit more optimistic about it, but I have trouble doing that. I really do, as far as uh, what the future of the NHL is going to look like. Um, but lastly, I do want to get out of here on a good note. Um, been a great year for On the Forecheck. Been a great year for the website in general. Uh, we brought in a lot of good new people, um, passed on some duties onto some people that were more than deserving, and more some, more's coming down the pipeline with that as well. Um, uh, this is a good time for reflection as far as Christmas and such goes and the holidays. Um Travel plans go. I will be uh, I will be in uh, out of the country for a bit uh, in early January. I uh, don't know as far as the editing process goes uh, what the plan is for uh, early January goes. So stay tuned on that front. Um, it's been a lot of fun. It's kind of challenging to do one by yourself because I mean we we have never had to never really done this before just because either with the snow days or with other opportunities there, but. I don't want to, A, let people know that, hey, this dude's still alive, but also, number two, chance to say thanks. Um, thanks to all the listeners out there that uh, 
um, have kind of stuck with us through the years, through multiple incarnations of our uh, technology and multiple multiple incarnations of the uh, roster itself, and um, kind of keeping the faith in general in between us and in in the product and in the team as well. Um, fandom itself is not always healthy. I think if we're all honest there, we can all admit that fandom leads to obsession and a lot of stuff gets distorted. So thanks for kind of helping us uh, find where the line is and, uh, and vice versa. We hope we can help you uh, find where that line is as well. Um, it's still a fun ride. And, uh, you know, hockey season, the grand scheme of things, isn't super important compared to, you know, a lot of the other stuff that's out there. Um, but it's, I mean, we hope to help you uh, find a little escape from, you know, from whatever you're trying to escape from, especially providing you something bigger than just the in-arena in arena experience. Because honestly, this team doesn't get enough uh, enough coverage that we still feel like it deserves, and we like helping uh, helping you fill in the gaps there. Um, let's talk a little bit about uh, the holiday season in general. Uh, I'm going to be leaving the country for a few days in January. I'm going to do like a grand tour of the great state of Florida as well. So I will be um, away for the first half of the month of January. Uh, not sure what the travel plans are for the other folks. Uh, so do expect to have a bit of a skeleton crew here during the uh, winter season, which that's pretty typical because we all get our vacation time and such. Um so I wanted to share with you guys real quick a moment when I knew that the um, – we talk about being kind of more – we always wanted the Predators to be more of like this regional team because if you were living here in the 90s, you remember when the Atlanta Braves were good because there was Braves stuff everywhere around this area. And it's just the same way whenever University of Tennessee Knoxville starts doing good at, at college football because there's Vol stuff everywhere. They're kind of more of a regional team. So I'm on the road uh, down in, I want to say North Alabama. I want to say it was uh, Decatur or um, it was either Decatur or uh, it was close to Huntsville. It wasn't in Huntsville itself, but I was in a Cracker Barrel. And um, I go in the, uh, I go to the, I head inside to go, headed from the dining area to go to the restroom. And I noticed that, um, they had these. Uh, they had the, the whole long sleeve shirts, which you know, if you ever go to the deep south, like the Panhandle of Florida or in Alabama, you'd swear that like three out of five women ages eighteen or ages twelve to thirty four are wearing these exact shirts. They're like the pastel color with the big script on the back, which in Alabama monogramming is still a huge deal. Uh, but when you see a Nashville Predators uh, long sleeve mint, I have like the seafoam green shirt. That's when you knew that, like, okay, all right, I, I think I may have made a good choice on choosing to to participate in this team's, uh, you know, fandom. <laughs> so, when it's starting to get into North Alabama, that's a that's a good thing. Uh, so, I want to at least leave people like that with a happy note. Uh, if you're traveling this year, uh, let us know. Uh, communicate with us. Uh, it's always good to see travel stuff. If you're, especially if you're going somewhere cool, always bring some predators gear with you and send us a picture. We'll happily retweet you out there for that. Um, I'm going to see if I can smuggle some preds gear on the cruise ship. So we'll see how that happens. Um, you can follow me on Twitter at Dan D Bradley. Whenever I decide to sparingly tweet, you can also follow the, uh, the main account at on the four check, which Alex and I 
run. Uh, you can follow Alex himself at AlexDoherty1. You can follow Link at 3D Link. You can follow Maria at Maria underscore K. You can follow the rest of the crew as well on the Twitter as well. But uh, thank you guys very much for letting us do this and giving us the uh, and uh, giving us the audience that you guys have all provided for us. Do enjoy doing the show, and uh, we're looking forward to a very uh, prosperous uh, 2017 as well. This has been the Predcast. Everyone have a great winter season, and we'll see you next month.